It was a Saturday, and our teammates were just finishing up our assignment there in Eastern Europe, and uh, we were getting ready to fly out the next day. And uh, we were staying at a hotel by the airport there in the capital city, and uh, we wanted to bring back, uh, you know, something for friends and family. And so uh, there was this uh, outdoor bazaar, this open market with vendors selling all sorts of touristy kinds of things. And you had high-end kind of nesting dolls, and I brought one here this morning. And uh, as we were shopping around, we were trying to think about which ones we wanted to get. And had you figured out before, you could have brought a family picture, and they would have had nesting dolls of your great-great and bringing you right down to the new, newest baby. And so it was a pretty exciting time for us. And uh, we got all that, and we brought it home and uh, arrived back and started to pass them around. And I brought them here this morning, this an example of one, because it's going to help us as we uh, jumpstart this series called Happiness Hacks. It is the uh, eight-part series this summer on what? The Beatitudes. Now, I'm not sure, can you hear a reverb happening? I don't know if you can hear that, but I, I think I hear that. All right, so just a couple uh, note-working things. Mom, I didn't tuck in my pants. I spilt my water in my jeans as I was getting ready to come up. All right, so uh, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the uh, Beatitudes. And as we do, I thought we'd get this um, nesting doll to help us do that. And uh, the very first uh, actual Beatitude is this one here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible or something there on your device, you can look it up. We're in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And they begin in verse 3. Jesus had noticed the crowds. He brought them up, and uh, this has been known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is on the side of a mountain, and uh, they're having an opportunity for some teaching. And we see there that there are 13 words in this opening beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 13 words. Going to narrow it down as we move through here. Well, there we go. We're going to focus on three words. Blessed, poor, and kingdom. And I know some of you are thinking that sounds like it's going to be a fairly short message on a communion Sunday. But I think John will find a way to get us here 35 plus minutes before we're done. Going to talk about blessed, poor, and kingdom. That's our working outline. We're going to take it in a different order. We're going to go start with kingdom, blessed, and then poor. And this uh, theme of kingdom is a big one for the book of Matthew. And uh, it happens, that word happens more than 30 times in the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to focus on kingdom. That's the key word. And kingdom is first introduced not in chapter 5, but it's in introduced in chapter 4 with a very significant statement made by Jesus. And he says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He's finishing up what he's doing there. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, two very Bible words, Bible terminology. And the first one is repent, change, turn. 
And then the second one is our key word for this morning, kingdom. It says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now pause. That word kingdom, to our modern ear, we don't really use that word as much anymore, it seems, unless you're talking about kings and all sorts of different uh, TV shows or whatever about uh, kings. But you have the idea of the kingdom for that crowd who are listening, who have this oppressive power regime of the Roman Empire, the fourth in the line of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Roman Empire. They're under the heel, the oppression of that power. And Jesus is talking about a new kingdom with a new king. And you think of king in that context, you have King Herod, that puppet Jewish king that's placed there. And then you still have other authorities. You have the religious authorities over the people, telling them what days of the week are holy, what are the laws to do, what you can eat on certain days and other days. So they're under this. And so as the crowds are listening to Jesus, they're thinking maybe this is the one who's going to help overthrow this regime. And they're thinking in the physical dimension, and Jesus is introducing the spiritual dimension. Jesus, before Pilate, in the book of John, he's being interviewed, and he says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So this idea of kingdom, what does it mean, and how does it play out? So I want us to uh, look now as he begins to move, and, he, and, and then the next statement is he says, and he went throughout all of Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. Let me go back to that one. And he went out throughout the, all of Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What is in that gospel? Now, you have this idea that this little smallest piece of this nesting doll, this is our 13 words. This is our First beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> this little guy, he nests nicely into the beatitudes. There's eight of them. And this summer, we're going to work our way through with different speakers, going through all eight of the beatitudes. Now, these eight beatitudes, I, I just pause for a second. I, I'm not leading to some little trick at the end and some little whatever and sleight of hand. I'm just trying to be creative to see how this all works out. So look forward to that. All right, so here we are. We now have the Beatitudes. Where are the Beatitudes? Well, they're nesting nicely where? In the teaching of the interrupted section there of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you take the book of Matthew... And if you have your Bibles open, you can sort of track with me on this. With your device, it's a little harder because we're going to go back and forth. But if you have 28 chapters in the book of Matthew, and if you drop off the first three, we have the presentation of the king. That is the birth of Jesus, the genealogy. At Christmas time, we often go to those passages. The Magi, Herod, he shall be called Emmanuel. Drop off the beginnings, one, two, three. And then drop off the other bookend, the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the Great Commission. And you've dropped off six chapters right off the top. And there is a very specific, deliberate structure that is at play as you move through the book 
of Matthew, and this is not a big section, I'm trying to help you understand Matthew, but this is trying to get at that word kingdom. Again, over 30 times in the book of Matthew, you have a key word called kingdom. What does the kingdom of heaven actually mean? What is Jesus saying when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And it follows this pattern. There's narrative, that is, there's sequences of events we're going to tell you about, we're going to talk about, and then all of a sudden there's this stop, and Jesus says, okay, time out, (laughs) time for some teaching. It played out as I just described it. There was a sequence of events, there was a narrative in chapter 4, leading up to where Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, at hand. And then all of a sudden he stops and says, it's time for some teaching, and he actually stops and says, okay, let's do the Sermon on the Mount. So that's where we're at. This is sitting here in the Sermon of the Mount, our little beatitude number one. Now, that teaching goes from chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And at the end of chapter 7, right near the end, in chapter 7, verse 28, there is a transitional statement. And it says something like this. I'm going to show you the slide in just a second. It says something like this. I've just done all this teaching, and it says, concluding statement, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, all these parables, all these things, he then went somewhere else. And we have it here in this transitional statement. 728 finishes, and then it begins this new next sequence, and that is chapter 8, chapter 9, And this is now the breaking in of the kingdom to the people. The people are excited. They see miracles and healings. And Jesus is getting ready in chapter 10, verse 5. He says, I'm going to send out my 12 disciples. That narrative brings you to that point where you have another series of teaching. And if you look in chapter 10, you see where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. 12 disciples, and he's saying, persecution to come. Stay tuned. There's going to be fear and sword and rewards, but stay tuned. I'm with you. My peace, I leave with you. And so that second teaching is to the disciples. And then in chapter 11, verse 1, stop. (laughs) Some variation of our transitional statement. Now, when Jesus has finished teaching his disciples, he moved on from there. And then there's more narrative, all of 11, all of 12. And then all of a sudden in chapter 13, that narrative, which is all about the rising opposition to the preaching of the kingdom, Jesus stops again in chapter 13, and he says, okay, time for some more teaching. This is the third set of five teaching. We're going to drop this in here, and we're going to say, okay, now at this point, he's going to talk to them, and he says, I want to talk to you about parables of the sower and the seed. It's a very long chapter, 13. And at the very end, for dramatic effect, 1356, Jesus says, when he had finished these sayings, he moved on, or these parables, he moved on from there. Stops the point. Then there's this new narrative, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, and just getting into chapter 18, all those from 14 to 17 
All of those are about the sequence of events talking about what? The rising opposition, or sorry, the, the rising uh, polarization that's happening now. People are just saying, are we really in or are we not in? Are we really in or are we not into the kingdom? And that's where Jesus says, okay, now it's time to talk about what is it like to be great in this kingdom? What happens if a brother comes and sins against you? How, how do you forgive what that looks like? in the theme of forgiveness. The greatness in the kingdom, as in greatness, who's to be great, and the forgiveness in the kingdom. And then 19, verse 1, we have, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he moved on from there to that last section, section 5, where we have the nature of this new kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And we learn about that in 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24. That whole theme of, if you want to be great in my kingdom, don't think you're going to get served. You don't take the places of honor. You don't do that. You don't get revenge. You forgive. You gain wealth by giving it away, not by keeping it. And then in chapter 26, verse 1, it's that last section where Jesus begins to talk about the end times. If you've got a nice, neat little name for the Sermon on the Mount, you now have a nice, neat name at the end for this section, and it's called the Olivet Discourse. Discourse is just a big chunk of time, uninterrupted time, to talk about some kind of teaching. The theme of the kingdom that thread can be traced all the way through the book of Matthew. So this isn't just a one-off. You need to understand that as we begin to get into the Beatitudes. They're not in isolation. They seem like they're in isolation, but they're not. They're all a big part of the bigger picture of the book of Matthew. And if you took this, and you could, and it was nothing on it, and you could sort of decorate it yourself, you could put on this. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message of Jesus. And that's the message of the Beatitudes. It's all about obedience. It's all about obedience. If you think about the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, here's your first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It starts there. And then it ends at the end of chapter 7, verse 28, before he says, and then he went somewhere else, it ends up with what? The wise man built his home. <laughs> the little house on the rock, house in the sand. Will you be on that one? Will you build your life? Will you follow King Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of King Jesus? And that's our key statement. If you have a key word, kingdom, this is what a kingdom means. What does it look like to follow King Jesus? Our second word, blessed. Blessed. Now, this isn't interesting because we speak English. <laughs> Somehow, this has gotten into our dialogue on the Beatitudes. And that is a statement. It's a play on words. You know what the Beatitudes are? 
The attitudes that we are supposed to be. See what I just did there? I said attitudes and then be, and I put it, the beatitudes. It's all about your character. Isn't that cute? And sadly, we tilt that way in our teaching, and it really is just a coincidence in the English language. There's so much more to that. So much more to the word blessed. In Latin, the word is blessing. I think that's where we get the blessed. Or in Greek, it's happy. Happy. Now, we think of happiness as an emotional state. That emotional state is what? It's kind of passive. Just subjective. What, what's going on? Well, I'm just happy today. Well, why you ha- Well, this happened and that happened. And then we think about what the Beatitudes are really trying to point to. It's not something subjective. This is something objective in relationship to who? To whom? To God, his word, or sorry, his kingdom and his promises. Those Beatitudes, that format of the Beatitudes, it starts with blessed are. Here is your blessing, and there's an exhortation at the end. You've got to be what? You've got to be poor in spirit. You've got to do something else. You've got to be meek. You've got to be merciful. It's our relationship to God that is objective as we think about that. Blessed is not a, just a New Testament word. We have this in the Old Testament, well-known passage of Scripture. Matthew, or sorry, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man or the woman. Check the sequence here. Blessed is the man and the woman who does not what? Watch the sequence. Walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. There's walking, there's now standing, and now we sit in the seat of scoffers. Again, there's this connection between the blessing and the obedience of what you're doing. Blessed is this person. And then the tail end of this verse is what? But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law they meditate day and night. The idea now of blessed and what it looks like. May I submit to you this idea that blessed means what? Congratulations. Congratulations. Right now, this is the season of lots of congratulations. There's people getting married on a Monday, July the 9th. People just got graduated. Just got graduated. People just graduated this last week. We went and watched the graduation. And you say to the person, congratulations. That is to say, Jesus is saying to the people, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, and these beatitudes, he's saying the following. Congratulations. You're understanding the kingdom. You understand what it looks like to be in the kingdom. Congratulations of your understanding as you move into the kingdom. Congratulations. Congratulations are in order. Congratulations to those who receive the kingdom. And here's your outline for the summer. Those poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacekeepers, these are the persecuted, uh, those who are uh, persecuted for righteousness' sakes. Congratulations. Congratulations. As you begin to understand 
to be a follower of Jesus. There's three key words in our opening beatitude, kingdom, blessed, and poor. Poor. Poor is not always just a financial term. It talks about poor in spirit, which has the theme of humility. And the scripture that was read this morning to us by Erica takes us to Luke chapter 4, that very long passage where Jesus is on the scene for the very first time. He comes to his hometown, and the scripture is opened, lists a whole bunch of things that this Isaiah prophet is now saying, 700 years later, saying this is what's going to happen. This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to do this, this, this. He's going to proclaim the good news to the poor. Who does he list in the context of his announcement there? There are two examples of poor in spirit. Naaman, a Syrian, and the widow of Zarephath. Now, let's deal with the widow first. The widow, yes, she is poor. She doesn't have the material wealth. But there's a humility as she goes and she believes in faith what the prophet is asking her to do. And the prophet then provides through miraculous provision for this widow. She came with that spirit of humility. And then Naaman, Naaman, the Syrian captive. He has this painful skin disease, leprosy. There's a young girl working in the household to his wife. And this young girl says, you know, I just wish that my master could actually travel back to Elisha, the prophet. He would heal him. Sure enough, it says, Haman loaded up all his silver, his chariots, and his horses. Doesn't sound like very, he's very poor. All of that, he's a man of influence, wealth. He loads everything up. He travels over, and he shows up, and he says, here I am, and he's knocking on the door of the, of the prophet, Nahum, or prophet Elisha. What is he expecting? Elisha comes out. Here's what you're going to have to do. This big bravado, and in the name of, and, and you are healed instantly. <laughs> what, did they, what, what happened? What? A servant? A message from the prophet? I'm supposed to do what? Dip myself seven times where? And it says there very specifically in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman became furious. And he's stomping off, like only a Syrian captain can stomp. He's stomping off, and he's muttering, there are more greater rivers in our country of Syria than this place right here. Why would I want to go to the muddy waters of Jordan? And the people traveling with him said, sir, it's a very small thing to do. Why, why don't you just listen? Why don't you become poor in spirit? Why don't you humble yourself? Park your arrogance, your haughtiness, your self-sufficiency, and obey what the Lord has required of you. Repent. He turns, comes back, and says, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Dips himself seven times. He's healed. 
and then he wants to reward, and there's the story of Gehazi and wanting the money and everything else. In the context of where Jesus is proclaiming the good news to the poor, he's talking about the context of a heart of humility. One closer to home, we had our series here on the prodigal son. Same thing with the younger brother. There is no poverty in spirit when he comes. Elisha's on that side of the auditorium. This is where his dad lives, and the young brother comes and says, I want all my inheritance, everything. No humility there. Gets it all. He goes off while living. And then it says in the same way that there was that moment for Nahum when he's angry. There's a moment in the pig pen. What am I, what am I doing here? I'm going to rise and I'm going to go to my father. And there's that moment of humility. And he says, here's my sermon. Here's my, here's my announcement. Father, I've sinned. We are trying to help you by saying there's three key words in our first beatitude. We said kingdom, that is, what does it look like to be a follower of King Jesus? Blessing, the key word there would be congratulations. For poor, the definition would be this. It's the definition of a beggar. <laughs> you have nothing, and you know it. And you come and you say, okay, if I'm trying to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I got to understand I need to obey King Jesus. There's a, there's a new, new authority. Maybe an example to parents in the crowd, grandparents. <laughs> Beth and I have three kids. What do you hear? One little kid. Can I, can I, can I kind of go ask your father? Well, what, is, what does the father say? Well, <clears throat> what did mom say? But it's this back and forth. They're playing off two kingdoms. That idea of like, okay, I got to play this off each other. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is a new kingdom. King Jesus has come. If we had an opportunity to rewrite scripture, how does that sound for heresy? But if we could, it would say something like this. Our first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Congratulations. Congratulations to those who have an understanding or those who know have nothing and they know it, for, they understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let me say that again. Congratulations to those who have nothing and know it. For they understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. They're beginning to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. This idea of following Jesus, the key word is obedience. And let me put down the clicker and be completely transparent with you and say this. This is not the time for the Sunday morning speaker to leverage the microphone. You need to obey more. You just do. You just need to obey. You just need to obey more. 
And there's a, a berating of what that is. And as I was preparing for this, there was this great insight I received from a, another Bible author, and he said, don't confuse perfect obedience with genuine obedience. That is to say, on this side of heaven, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. The way I spoke to in that situation, I wasn't loving, and you just sort of berate yourself. But there's a, there's a trajectory. You're moving towards a genuine, sincere obedience. And you know what? There's people in your lives, you're like, wow. That's a follower of Jesus. The way they interact and how they do different things. At different points, you have celebrations of life, and the affirmations from the front are about, here's a man, here's a woman of God. So we're not <laughs> there yet. So this perfect obedience, let's change our thinking. Where is the genuine obedience? There's a statement that Paul actually says in the book of Romans. He's trying to encourage them. And he says this. Your obedience is known to all. You have a reputation, people in Rome, for your obedience. And as we begin to study the Beatitudes this summer, and as we seek to be followers of Jesus as we obey, we're encouraged by this. There isn't this high standard that Jesus is putting there. Let's go to the end of Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. It's a great missions Sunday verse, but it's also a great missions or a great verse for us this morning. What does Jesus say there? Teaching them to obey. This is not Jesus putting a little asterisk there and then a little snicker, snicker, good try doing that because you'll never reach perfect obedience. Teach them to obey. The Spirit of God is going to enable us as we continue to obey King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we are uh, very mindful of your truth. And uh, we thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are the master teacher. The five different examples in the book of Matthew alone, you pause and you teach. And Lord, uh, we trust you. We trust you, the King. And so as we move out from today and into our lives and different situations as we pray and live, we, we ask that you would continue to encourage us because you congratulate us and you say to us that those of us who are poor in spirit, we're just beginning to get an understanding of what it, like, what it looks like to follow King Jesus. In the Spirit of God, we pray that you would just help. In Christ's name we pray, amen.